Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And it seems clear, John, that sports bettors have been listening to our opening banter. Just last week, we marveled at a bet on the Chiefs to have the worst record in the NFL, discussed whether it would hold up as the most foolish bet of the football season. And in what is clearly a bet designed to get us talking here on Gamble On, Caesars Sportsbook took a $20 wager this week on the University of Kansas to win the college football national championship at 5,000 to one odds. Uh, the Jayhawks went a combined three and 18 the last two seasons and have a win total over under this year of one and a half. ESPN's David Purdom reports, meanwhile, that someone else bet $10 on Kansas at the Superbook at 10,000 to one odds which makes me hate the Caesars bet even more because they didn't shop around. Uh, John, is this the new leader for biggest waste of money of the football season? Uh, well, uh, in some interesting ways, you know, if you pick a silly team to win the Super Bowl, they could go nine and seven, sneak into the playoffs, pull off a bunch of upsets, cough, Giants, cough, and suddenly they're, <laughs> they're, they've won the Super Bowl. So that's very unlikely, but you never know. And the Chiefs, as crazy as it is, you know, if they – uh, only win a couple of games, you would win. But there's a key difference between the college and the pros if you think about it. So uh, let's just say Kansas goes undefeated, including beating the likes of South Dakota, Coastal Carolina, Duke, and Kansas State. You know, look at their schedule. Uh, now, if the Big Ten is seen as having a down year and super teams like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, they each have one loss and a reputable program is undefeated. Guess what, Dorothy? Kansas is not in the college football playoff anymore. <laughs> so, kids, make your bet instead on Kansas going undefeated. You'll get nice odds there, too, and you'll have no chance of winning. But at least if they go undefeated, you win. Here, even if they go undefeated, you might lose. 
Interesting. Yeah, uh, this is a a truly awful bet. Uh, It has, uh, to my eyes, much less than a one in 5,000 or one in 10,000 chance of winning. But I can kind of give it a pass because these bettors aren't going to miss their 10 bucks or 20 bucks. And I'm guessing they're Kansas students or alums or fans who just want an extra reason to root for their team at $10 or $20. It's a playful, hopeless bet, which I can get behind more than I can a hopeless $100 bet or $500 bet. I do wonder, were there always people making bets like this every year and we're just hearing about them more now because there's much more of a media presence covering sports betting? Or are more people placing these bets because of publicity over the occasional massive parlay win or that guy winning his bet on the St. Louis Blues a couple of years ago, which... Although that was a long shot, it was at least a calculated long shot. You know, he followed the team closely. He saw them starting to improve and believe their odds were too long relative to their talent. I suspect the long shot plays that we're seeing now, like this Kansas bets, uh, are not calculated long shots. They're, they're dart throws and the dartboard is like 100 yards away and, and you're never going to reach it. Never mind hitting the bullseye. But again, for 10 bucks or 20 bucks, I can't totally hate it. Yeah, I, I will make one observation, too. Um, I am 100 percent positive that these are both men uh, because uh, no woman, no woman on earth is dumb enough to make these bets. <laughs> I uh, I would call that a sexist comment, but it's too accurate to uh, yeah, to categorize exactly. that way. It is it right. is simply a statement of fact. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 157 of Gamble On. Whether you're a male listener or a female listener, we welcome you. Uh, if you missed any of our previous 156 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other podcast apps. We can't make any guarantees about the quality of our podcast, but we will say this. There's a better chance you'll find listening to us entertaining than there is that Kansas will win the national title this year. Uh, well, I think that's a, a safe bet, as they say. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by our colleague, Jeff Edelstein. He has recently emerged as the world's top DraftKings marketplace NFT journalist. Well, he's facing rather limited competition, almost zero for that <laughs> title. But still, he's, he's the man on this particular beat. And we're going to talk to Jeff about the controversies and the flaws in DraftKings system so far. And let us know how important he thinks it is or isn't in the grand scheme of things that we understand what these NFTs are all about. Not sure what NFT even means, but that's a side <laughs> Side note. Um, but first, it's been a busy for summer grade on a curve week, I would say, uh, in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. As several states position themselves to launch sports betting before the end of 2021, Only one is on track to do so in time for the start of the NFL season, and that state is Arizona. There's been news breaking almost every day this week in the Grand Canyon state. The notable details include the following. FanDuel, partnered with the Phoenix Suns, and Penn National, partnered with Phoenix Raceway, are the only two operators who have revealed that they have received licenses, Uh, but it is expected that up to eight more are coming among the state's professional sports teams and venues and their online partners. On the tribal side, there are 16 applications for 10 licenses, and those should be doled out by Friday. This Saturday, August 28th, those operators that are approved can go live with account creation, account funding, and marketing, though betting is still not expected to be available until September 9th, the first day of the NFL season. FanDuel has also been approved for DFS and is expected to launch that on Saturday. 
DraftKings is expected to receive the same approvals, but hasn't yet. So it's possible FanDuel will get a head start. Some of the operators hoping to do business in Arizona aren't crazy about the fact that we're two weeks from launch and much information remains unknown. But nevertheless, all signs point to the launch date sticking. Uh, and by the way, in other Arizona news, Caesars has partnered with the Fiesta Bowl, the state's most high-profile college bowl game. Uh, John, give me your thoughts on the rollout. Are you troubled by the way they're still shoring up details this close to the deadline? And are you surprised states like Maryland and Louisiana are going to miss the start of the football season and are now talking about midseason launches? Yeah, those are good questions. Um, I kind of love the fact that Arizona has been kicking ass in terms of hitting every deadline, like a long distance runner with an unexpected kick who's leaving several states in the dust near the finish line. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm impressed with that. But in a long view, yeah, there might be some mistakes. So maybe it doesn't make as much sense to uh, be as aggressive as they've been that you've got to be there in week one, no matter what, you know, um, still Louisiana, which is now much more likely than Maryland, I think, to launch sports betting before you know, they'll be there by the middle of the calendar year, I think. Um, that's still too slow. I mean, and Terrapins is, is a fine nickname for Maryland, it turns out. Um, <laughs> over, yeah, overall, I think Arizona's headed for a grade of A pending their final exam in the next couple of weeks uh, as far as states go. Uh, and by the way, put Sedona in the northern part of the state on your bucket list. Uh, also recommended rent the Corvette convertible in Phoenix or Scottsdale for the long drive up. Make sure you remember to put the top down on the way back, and uh, otherwise you're going to be surprised how cold it is in that car. Okay, good life <laughs> advice. I have I have been to Arizona once, uh, but was mostly just in Scottsdale. So yeah. uh, I have done not done Sedona, but I shall add it to the list. Um, okay. Yeah, so I'm with you that like the start of football season is an ideal target, but you don't have to hit it. The middle of football season is still better than after football season, and it's better to make sure all your proverbial ducks are in a row than to rush it and launch without all the rules and safety measures and so forth ironed out. So no, no big deal about Maryland and Louisiana, in my view. Um, it does seem kind of seat of their pants in Arizona, but they are clearly determined to get there. Operators won't have a ton of time from when they find out they're licensed until betting begins. But then again, these are all operators with mobile sports books in other states. They're not starting from scratch or reinventing the wheel. I'm sure... If I told DraftKings, hey, turns out you can launch in Georgia in 48 hours, they'd be ready to launch in Georgia in 48 hours. <laughs> um, I do like this approach of letting operators do some pre-betting launch activities a week or so early, letting people create accounts. Uh, sometimes that process has some hiccups, so it's good to let people do so without the stress of it's opening day of the NFL season. I wanted to bet this NFL game today. And this site is asking me to send more forms of identification and it's taking too long. Um, so they're, they're kind of avoiding that. Um, it would be unfair, however, in my opinion, if FanDuel and Barstool can do that Saturday and others can't. I'm hoping that all approvals are complete and announced by tomorrow and everyone is on the same footing in Arizona. Well, this is a good example of the 50 state uh, concept where um, everybody gets to try their own thing. And yeah, we're a little bit skeptical of this. It's a little bit aggressive, but if it works, hey, everybody else can learn from it. And if it doesn't, everybody else can learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And sir, one thing that I think we can agree on is that this is going to be a very big sports betting state once it does get up and running. Lots of pro teams, college teams, big population, hungry sports bettors and DFS players who have been frozen out all this time. Uh, 
you know, I, I and I think more than any other state that is legalized so far, this one even could take a tiny little bite out of Las Vegas's business. We've talked about how sports betting in other states has not been bad for Nevada to this point. Arizona might be a tiny bit bad for them, but I, I think it'll be interesting to see how quickly Arizona ascends the handle rankings. Well, it's it's tough for the citizenry there. Yeah, they couldn't even do daily fantasy sports, you know, like forty five other states or whatever. All of a sudden, right. now they've got this this huge menu. Every, they can do everything at once. It's like somebody that's been, you know, locked away in a room somewhere and suddenly they're out free to go and they're, <laughs> they're they wake up and they're at a college frat party and God knows what's going to happen. <laughs> yep. And all of a sudden, anything goes in Arizona. All right. Our next story uh, is also related to the start of the NFL season. Uh, it's something you wrote about this week for U.S. Bets, John, as the league has announced networks broadcasting games can sell up to six ad spots per game to sports books. That breaks down to one per quarter plus one pregame and one at halftime. To advertise, a sportsbook has to be approved by the NFL. And so far, that list includes Caesars, FanDuel, DraftKings, FoxBet, BetMGM, PointsBet, and WinBet. To be approved, the operators have to pay for official league data. So congrats to the NFL on end-rounding its way to a substitute for so-called integrity fees. Uh, the NFL is really exerting strong control over who can and cannot advertise during its games. But I will say there's something to be said for the six ad per game limit in terms of avoiding the mistakes of the DraftKings FanDuel advertising deluge of 2015 that turned off viewers. John, I know you have something to say about the NFL's change of attitude towards sports betting since the PASPA era pre-2018. So spout off on that and share any other thoughts you have on these advertising rules. Well, you know, as someone who is suffering through a Caesars uh, ad every other <laughs> half inning in the Met game, probably every half inning now that I think about it. Uh, it's kind of brutal. They have a couple of uh, secondary commercials coming out at least, so it's not always the exact same commercial, but it's kind of rough. But um, And yeah, having gone through six years of the NFL et al. versus New Jersey legal battle 2012 to 2018 and reading too many thousands of pages of legal filings, which is to say all of them, uh, it's difficult for me not to bring up the various forms of nonsense the NFL was spewing about how the expansion of legal sports betting beyond Nevada would ruin sports forever, you know, but I'm not mad like Meadowlands racetrack operator Jeff Corral is mad because he spent seven figures probably on legal fees to keep the case alive. And I made a profit in the sense that I got to write so many articles that drew so much attention. So I'm not mad about it. I just find it uh, amusing. And like former U.S. Poet Laureate Mark McGuire once said, I'm not here to talk about the past. So I'll just focus <laughs> on what strikes me as a very sane limit on the number of gambling ads to be shown on games this year. I think it's unlikely there'll be any blowback from the millions of fans who love the NFL but don't gamble. And the league officials can monitor it. And if they are smart, they can loosen the strings a little bit of time in subsequent years. So, you know, all snark temptations aside, I give the NFL two thumbs up with this one. All right. I'm glad to hear you're not here to talk about the past because I thought I was going to be hitting you with a with a hot take uh, that, that I was thinking it might be time to put a moratorium on the look at what a hypocrite the NFL is about sports <laughs> betting angle. And I, and I wouldn't just be singling you out with that anyway. I'm talking about numerous writers, people on Twitter, uh, even mainstream writers and sports radio hosts and, and so forth. Um, yeah. It kind of feels like we've said everything that can be said about it. Goodell is, Goodell is a hypocrite. He knew he was all along. This is capitalism. This is how big businesses operate. Um, you know, you're opposed to something. If there's no direct financial incentive for you, you support it once you figured out how to make money off it. And uh, so after three plus years, I'm ready to stop giving the NFL a hard time about it and just accept that this was always how it was going to be. And uh, they're exactly who we thought they were to uh, paraphrase uh, another uh, famous quote uh, and uh, say that it's, it's time to move on. But um, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't like the fact that the NFL gets to dictate to the networks who can and can't advertise during their games. That's kind of off-putting. Um, but uh, I definitely like the six sports book ads per game limit, uh, and especially the forced spacing out of the ads. Uh, I, I've, I've been watching Phillies games, and you get a, a Caesar Sportsbook ad followed immediately by a DraftKings ad, and then in the next commercial set, there's Bet 365 and maybe Caesars again. <laughs> and uh, now you've seen four Sportsbook ads in like 10 minutes. Um, so, that yeah, this I think is a smart idea from the NFL to limit viewer frustration and it's also good long term for the sports betting industry uh, to uh, not have to hopefully not have to face the the backlash that the DFS sites faced in 2015. And now maybe we can do this with erectile dysfunction ads also one per <laughs> quarter, one before the game and one after the game. And that's the limit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think we, we get we definitely get the point. You see you, you see one or two a game. If you've got the problem. Uh, you know, the ads are out there. You know what to do about it. We don't need to be head over the head with it. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll be talking to Jeff Edelstein about a DraftKings-focused topic. Let's segue into that with some DK for our third news story. On Tuesday, DraftKings announced a partnership with the tech company SimpleBet, aiming to make in-game betting more granular than it has been to this point in the U.S. DraftKings shared some samples of what the bet options might look like, using an MLB game as an example. The bets included right before an at-bat, markets for how many pitches the at-bat will last, a yes-no on whether the batter will get a hit, and a choice of outcomes for the at-bat, including single, double, triple, home run, strikeout, in-play out, walk slash hit by pitch and reach on error. Although the sample pricing looked way off with reach on error only plus 170. Maybe it was a typo and it was supposed to read plus 1700. Uh, anyway, there will be similar options for football and for basketball, although basketball doesn't stop between plays. So the odds and feeds will need to update extremely quickly in order to have betting on what the result of the next possession will be. As our friend Jamie Salzberg noted on Twitter, one of the sports most well-suited for this will be golf. If you can bet hole by hole or even shot by shot on any golfer. Uh, John, what do you think of the movement toward in-play betting? I find that it is less skill-oriented and also more dangerous from a responsible gambling standpoint. Do you agree with that? Or in small betting amounts, do you think it would be more fun to bet a golfer hole by hole or a baseball game at bat by at bat? Well, yeah, you know, the PGA Tour, which has been pretty proactive on gambling in general and was not one of the uh, plaintiffs in the lawsuit against New Jersey, by the way. Um, they actually tried this on a Golf Channel broadcast late last year at an event played in Las Vegas, of all places. Uh, it was weird seeing odds on a par three and whether each player would hit the green, for instance. And one announcer saying, I'll go 100 bucks that he gets this on the green, at, you know, whatever the odds were. Right. Kind of jarring. And then they'd show you the uh, who do you like as low South Korean this week? And they'd show uh, five players and what the various odds were. It was strange, but I, I, I they didn't get much backlash from what I could tell. Hmm. Now, as someone who doesn't even wager on, say, football games at halftime with new odds, uh, <laughs> I'm not really the target better here. But yeah, it does feel at least a little bit dangerous. And it may run operators into that grim fork in the road where, look, either the player gets discouraged when they run out of money and quits bad for the operator and bad for word of mouth or the player goes into debt 
that chasing a dream of being a winner with this fire hose of new betting, which is bad for society. So that's a tough combination. Um, I'll be interested in seeing how professional sports bettors handle this. You know, Jeopardy James is a former Gamble on podcast guest. We'll mm-hmm. plug there. Um, he had told us that he focuses on in-game betting, and that's where he gets the edge uh, already in the NFL from a couple of years ago. Uh, but this is even more granular than that. So, you know, can he and others at that elite level make money at the same degree? I kind of wonder, and that's I'll probably partly color my final answer, so to speak. <laughs> right. There you go. Uh, yes, we uh, not only is he a former guest, I do believe we will go down in history as the first podcast interview he did anywhere. Yes, uh, so, indeed. Yeah, um, yeah the, it's it, the responsible gambling thing. I'm on the same page as you. The, the greater the frequency of the bets, the easier it is to potentially go on tilt. Now, you know, responsible gamblers will say to themselves, you know, I'm, I'm watching this MLB game. My normal betting unit is 50 bucks on a pregame bet. So with my in-game bets, I'm going to go with one fifth of a unit per bet. Each Mm -hmm. in-play bet I make will be $10. And I might place 40 of those bets while I sit here on the couch for the next couple of hours. I'm not going to go 40 for 40. I'm not going to go 0 for 40. I'm probably going to end up winning or losing not more than 100 bucks. Okay, great. Let's have some fun. That's what you'd like to see. But uh, of course, there will be that more impulsive gambler who puts his whole bankroll on Otani to hit a home run this at bat. And if he doesn't, he deposits another 500 bucks and puts that all on the next Otani at bat to try to win it back, et cetera. Um, I mean, there's always the potential for that behavior with sports betting of any kind, but I'd expect that it goes up with in-game betting and with increasingly granular in-game betting like this. But, you know, on the plus side, this can be fun. And then there can be some skill. If you know the tendencies of a football coach and you see the down and distance, you might be able to make a good split second decision about whether the next play will be a pass or a run. That might be a fun guessing game. Um, And play-by-play betting can be a good second screen experience while watching a game. Although uh, it also definitely helps fuel the ever increasing attention deficit loss in our society. But that's another rant for another time, I suppose. Yeah, it's just even that responsible version you talk about, though, it just seems like that hit of dopamine per minute is just uh, it seems exhausting, you know, because you hey, I won. I lost. I won. I lost. I won. I lost. (laughs) I I just kind of worn out. So, uh, you know, I I saw that with uh, New Jersey having the uh, in in race horse racing. I've seen some versions. I've actually seen people do it in person and it's brutal. I mean, you're you're changing your bet, you know, eight times in the course of two minutes. I, I don't know. It's not for me. Well, as you said, you're not totally the target audience for a lot of these sort of things, particularly not this one. But uh, but I do worry about who the target audience even is and and whether the target audience is uh, equipped to to deal with this. But uh, something for us to to watch and cover, certainly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Last week, John and I discussed the debacle that was the DraftKings Tom Brady NFT drop and figured that was pretty much the end of the story as DraftKings said the problems had been fixed. Narrator, colon, the problems were not fixed. The Wayne Gretzky NFT drop went almost as poorly in terms of a small group of customers bogarting all the NFTs. And DraftKings, one of the leading brand names in the gambling industry, is coming off poorly. Joining us now to break it all down is the man who has, as far as I know, covered this story more thoroughly than any other journalist, U.S. Bets' own Jeff Edelstein. Jeff, welcome back to Gamble On. 
A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, if you had told me a year ago I was going to be a resident NFT expert anywhere, I would have been, I don't think so, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jeff, uh, asking for a friend, purely for a friend, uh, sure. you know, who, who happens to be in the gambling media. Uh, okay. I'm wondering if uh, he or she, uh, mm-hmm. okay, it's probably he, but uh, if he, uh, <laughs> he really needs to learn anything about NFTs, is this, this going to be like a big thing in gambling forever or, or is it just kind of flesh in the pan? Uh, you know, who knows, honestly. I mean, I, do you need to know about it if you're a member of the gambling media? I mean, I, I, I would say a little bit, if only because like the, you have places like DraftKings are like getting involved uh, in this. And so it's the short answer is I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows. But I mean, the NFT space just seems to keep growing like incrementally each day. I heard Visa got involved the other day by they, they bought some expensive crypto punk, which again, you know, over, you know, I, I don't get it necessarily. I get collecting. I understand that, you know, and I get the idea of uh, rarity, be it like perceived rarity or, you know, in, in the case of NFTs, like forced rarity. The, the, and the other thing, I guess, is that like a lot of names, you know, a lot of people in the gambling space, you know, are, are also they, they're in the NFT space, you know, because it's a it's just another way to listen. I mean, if you bet for a living or bet as a hobby, nothing is better than, you know, a sure thing. And NFTs so far, for the most part, have kind of been a sure thing. Yeah. Well, I got to say, my friend, uh, he graduated from college, uh, still using a typewriter to, uh-huh. print, to write his articles for the college newspaper. So I imagine it'd be difficult for him, but I think he will try and do his best. <laughs> I'm sure he'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. So, so Jeff, you, you've written about your assorted experiences trying to buy and sell NFTs. I'm going to make you repeat some of that. Walk us through the experience the first time when you did score some of these DraftKings NFTs and the frustration you've experienced in subsequent attempts to get in line and, and make some easy money since the system has become, I guess, perhaps a bit corrupted. Yeah. So when they first started this a few weeks ago, the first Tom Brady releases, uh, they were numbered to 5,000, 2,500, you know, they were like relatively high and there's about 20,000 people trying to get them. I I got the first one numbered to 5,000, uh, just by joining the queue and you get picked. It's like, it's, it's really like, if you remember, and I'm sure you do wait online, like for Aerosmith tickets at Ticketmaster, you know, they, they give you a number, they pick a number out of a hat and that's where they start the line. Right. So you don't have to wait there all night. And, that's, and you know, the NFTs for DraftKings, they do it much the same way. So I got lucky enough. I got the, I got it. I immediately, it was 12 bucks. I turned around for, th- I sold it for $30 in two seconds. I thought I was king of the mountain. <laughs> um, they're selling now for about two, 280 bucks. So, you know, maybe <laughs> might have sold a bit too soon. But, but then, then the next drop was for 2,500, uh, one number to 2,500. And I just, well, I, I wanted it. And so, like, I just said, well, I'm going to join two waiting rooms to see what happens. And what happened was I was given two different places in line, okay, which shouldn't happen, right? It doesn't say that it shouldn't happen, but clearly that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be the way it is. I didn't get it. Then I and, and, and you that. did that by joining on separate devices, right? It was... Yeah, yes. Okay. Well, you could join. You can't... If it was in the same browser with different uh, windows open, it wouldn't work. But different browsers, different devices, different... Okay. It worked fine. By the time we got to the one that was numbered to 750, I said, you know, this was now, I think, four or five o'clock in the afternoon or five or six o'clock in the afternoon. And it was like, you know, Kelly, Benny, everybody, the whole family, give me all your devices. <laughs> and I, I, I think I had 13 waiting rooms going. 
and I got one, you know, and I immediately flipped that one. That was 75 bucks. I sold it for like 425 selling for about 880 last I checked. So again, too soon, but, uh, but I, I got them both and I, and I, and in my review or my, you know, running diary, I guess, that I wrote for us bets, I said, this was like the only problem in an otherwise like glorious rollout. It was, you know, as someone I, I was involved with NBA Top Shot like a little bit in the beginning of that. And that was kind of clumsy, especially like trying to get money in and out. The DraftKings experience was seamless. It was so easy. It, it really like I, I was I was ready to write like, you know, a, a cynic, cynicky, winking, you know, the DraftKings is, you know, what are they doing piece? But I didn't because it was awesome. Um, but I did note that like you could wait in these waiting rooms. Then on that Friday, two days later, they then they were dropping the autographed versions of the, these cards, numbered to a hundred to fifty to twenty-five and to twelve. Again, twenty thousand people queuing up trying to get this thing, and somebody on somebody on Twitter like did the did, you know did the legwork and tweeted out this guy uh, Dan goes by No Hitter Forty-Eight tweeted out Hey, you know somebody got all five of these things. You know, and then a bunch of other people got four of them and a bunch of people got three of them, which clearly indicates a pretty big leak in the system here. I don't know what these people did to get their hands on them. I'm guessing bot, whatever the hell that means. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I wrote about it again. I said, well, now we have a problem. Right. Because people are like, you know, the, the odds of, you know, you, you do the math because I don't know how to do it. But the odds are big. I- I remember there was a decimal point with many zeros before the first non-zero number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, you know, that was back in the envelope stuff. So I wrote about DraftKings to their credit, uh, issued a press release on Monday. The fi- so I wrote about this on Saturday. Then on that Monday, DraftKings issued a press release saying, Hey, we recognize there was a problem. We're taking steps to fix it. Then on that Wednesday, the first Wayne Gretzky drop that you had to click off that the terms and conditions you had to, you know, count the number of fire hydrants to prove you're not a robot. There was like all these, you know, steps to get through in order to participate in the drop. And it went off fine. And, you know, everything seemed hunky-dory. Then on Friday, again, Wayne Gretzky with the low-numbered autographs, and it started happening again. Uh, the first three, a, bu- a bunch of people got the first three um, ones. And then it seemed to stop. By the time the, the last two, numbers of 25 and 12, dropped, the people who got the first three, they didn't get the last two. So either DraftKings somehow fixed the issue on the fly or there was more than 25 people knowing what they were doing to, to try to get behind the wall. And, you know, and that's how that happened. Uh, we'll find out more probably on Friday. Uh, well, today they're doing a Naomi Osaka drop. And then on Friday, they're doing the autograph versions of that. And we'll see if the issues are, are still there. Okay. So from what you can tell with these last two weeks, the whoever is behind these bot attacks or whatever we want to call them seems to only be doing it when it's the really rare and therefore more valuable additions? Well, maybe. And the reason I say maybe is because, so you could go on the DraftKings marketplace site and go in, you could see, you know, you could, their blockchain technology, whatever, again, I'm in over my head, here. <laughs> but you can see, you can see like who bought what. Okay. And it's, it's just a simple matter of like, you know, you know, www dot a string of letters and numbers, one, two, three. So you can see each one. When you're in the autograph versions, number to 100 to 50 to 25, it takes you 15, 20 minutes. You see them all. When it's number to 5,000, you know, I don't I don't have the uh, capability you know, to be able to figure oh. that out. 
but okay. nobody's, no, nobody's either nobody has looked or nobody's noticed. I'm not sure which. Okay, gotcha. Um, all right. So speaking of uh, people possibly not looking and possibly not noticing, um, there's the coverage of, of all this. And I guess if there's one piece of good news here for DraftKings, it's that this story doesn't seem to have gone mainstream at all. As best I can tell, you're just about the only one covering it. Uh, maybe because most writers don't understand it and therefore don't want to touch it. I'm not sure. But with that in mind, how bad is this for DraftKings? Is it damaging their brand? Is it diminishing the trust of their customers? Or because it's kind of stayed out of the mainstream, is it no big deal, would you say? I, I mean, at this point, I, I got to say that it's probably no big deal for them because you're right, it has stayed out of the mainstream. But I mean, it, 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 I, I think back to 2015 with the, you know, the great DFS scandal of that year, which mm-hmm. really wasn't a scandal, poorly understood by, by the media, but it blew up and it really... I mean, it really almost destroyed DFS. You know, every state legislature started like looking into this. What is this? You know, how are we doing this? And honestly, I just wrote about this in a, for a separate piece. I think we have Chris Christie to thank when he got up in front of the Republican debate and said, fantasy football, we're talking about fantasy football, you know, but it, that, that was a problem. And like, it's not so far-fetched to me that somebody at the New York Times or somebody at the Washington Post happens to come across what's happening here, happens to understand what's happening here and writes about it. If that happens, then you start getting into like, is the, is the is the whole NFT market you know fixed? You know how? What about NBA Top Shot? Were people like managing to like you know skirt the rules there? These are answers that I I don't know. I'm I, I don't think DraftKings wants a little scandal on their hands. They are much 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 bigger today than they were, you know, six years ago. So they could probably I'm sure they they'll whatever this is they'll withstand it. And what and probably all it is is just some back end technology that they haven't been able to plug but it does create like a little bit of a crisis of confidence and it does take a lot of the fun out of trying to like get one of these things and i would probably presume that it probably knocks the prices down a little bit as well because there's always going to be in the back of your head now you know the fix is in somewhere you know how i'm being screwed clearly somehow you know as a consumer right because this is supposed to be on the up and up and people shouldn't be have a back-end way to get you know, their hands on these things. Because again, these Tom Brady cards that this guy got five of, or NFTs, I keep calling cards. <laughs> you know, he, he spent, I think, $3,200 and he immediately sold them for $76,000. So this isn't, you know, this isn't peanuts. Right. The, he did a little better than your $12 for $30 uh, re- return. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could say, I mean, that's 75 grand. That, that would seed my uh, DraftKings DF, uh, football DFS account for at least two or three weeks this year. You know? <laughs> right, there you go. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jeff, I, obviously this is sports and it's speculation and I can tell you like both. So uh, I'm thinking of Bitcoin while you're talking about this. Uh, that's speculation, uh, certainly. And people have gotten rich off it quickly and then, then not so rich and then rich and not so rich. So that's been around for a while. Uh, have you, uh, did you dive into that right away? Have you tried it at all or not? No, I, I haven't i i, I kind of like you know i i was definitely one of the one of the bitcoin you're gonna lose all your money people uh. you know i wish i wasn't uh but yeah no i'm pretty late to the whole blockchain world uh and it was nba top shot that kind of triggered it you know i'm like oh you know because as a you know i'm a bait i was a pretty big baseball card collector i still dabble in a little bit but the idea of like collecting like these digital cards or whatever you want to, I, you know, NFTs, that's what they call them. So, but like the idea of it, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd rather hold something than see something, I guess, but uh, people are in, in, interested in it. And so I, do, I dove into that 
you know, and I, I 10 X my money like every time. So it was fun while it lasted. Now it's like kind of slowed down, but yeah, I don't know. As far as Bitcoin goes, I, I I'm not going to, it seems like the future, but it also seems like all it takes is like, you know, one large government to say, we're not letting you do this anymore. And then the ride's over. You know? Yeah. Speaking of baseball cards, uh, so I've got some half century old ones of mine uh, that I've been sitting on for all that time. And uh, yeah, you can't hold them. Uh, they're kind of dog eared. We did flip them and put them on uh, bicycle spokes and other things, but still they're real and I have them in the original. Uh, I think of the record uh business where uh, or music business i guess i should say where it took decades and decades but eventually vinyl records became cool for a while i don't know if they still are but because it was like the real thing and the original um can you picture sort of antique baseball cards uh, ever becoming a thing for people who it's so distant that they think wow this would be cool grandpa had these i think i think we're living it right now honestly the yeah. the, the, the sports card market has has exploded in the last mm -hmm. two or three years like really exploded yeah. Uh, I think a Honus Wagner, just a, just a new record was recently set, you know, and a lot of the modern cards, like a LeBron James, you know, one of one rookie autograph, blah, 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 millions of dollars, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I think, you know, you, you may want to check some uh, eBay sold listings to see if your uh, 76 Tops collection might be worth a few bucks, because it probably is. I'm thinking of like a 68 Nolan Ryan might be worth a dollar or two. Johnny Bench, Rod Carew. Yeah, a lot not as much as my autograph that I just pulled the other day of Elroy Jimenez here, which is you know from the Allen and Ginter collection. You know, okay, <laughs> I, nice, I, I guess. I like, I like, I like you, you, you seem to have it in a uh, in a, in a nice uh, case at least, protected. Uh, from this is how oh, they come, come like that. Okay. Yeah, so that was what I was going to ask John about his, uh, his Nolan Ryan though, is what kind of condition is it in? Was it in any uh, uh, bicycle tire spokes at any point or is it, uh, or is it uh, close to mid condition? Well, I have all my hall of famers in one album that includes OJ Simpson and Joe Namath and Bobby Orr and Bobby Hull. And uh, you know, every sport you can think of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, um, and it was as Lou Alcindor, no less. And Will Chamberlain. And uh, they're all in, they all look, spectacular in the album and then you pull them out and they don't look as good the uh the johnny bench 1968 rookie card which is one of the most valuable ones in top baseball history uh he was with a guy named ron tompkins as a pitcher on the on the card and i knew even as a kid that ron tompkins was a nobody he's a loser so what did i do i folded the card in half so i didn't have to look at the, uh, that's like a thousand dollar crease it turns out to this uh dopey eight or nine year old i didn't i didn't do that now nolan ryan was with jerry kuzman who's uh mets jersey's being retired on saturday by the way and i'll be there uh, i'll be on hand for that so uh, i never did anything to that card but it's a little dog-eared you know seven-year-olds not as you as you guys know seven-year-olds are not really uh you know dainty with their items that they, <laughs> even the ones they enjoy that is very true and the worst story of that is i think it was the 79 nba uh cards larry bird and magic johnson were on the same card as a rookie mm -hmm. and it was a try three of them and so the the number of people who just you know <laughs> you know, just brutal, just brutal. Who, who, who? Do you know who is the third guy on that card? Who is effectively the Sam Bowie of that trio? I, you know, I don't, I don't know offhand. Right. But a little, yeah, a little, a little trivia for our audience. Uh, maybe we'll, uh, we'll come back next week with the answer to that one. <laughs> Eric, offhand reference again, as you, I know you like these. Uh, I know Sam Bowie, and you know Sam Bowie. Uh, he actually played for the Nets my first season, ninety two, ninety three. Uh, Sam had a, uh, he had a communications degree from the University of Kentucky, and he's the only athlete I ever came across who, while you're scribbling his comments in a notebook, he would slow his cadence oh. to match the speed of which you mm. could write in the notebook. Nice. 
book. I mean, that's not only observant, incredibly considerate. Um, so uh, I love Sam. I know he's uh, not quite Michael Jordan, but uh, he was a good guy. And if not for injuries, he'd been an even better player than he was. So it's a good well, night, Sam. I can't remember if this ever came up on the podcast before, but uh, Larry Merchant, the uh, great former HBO boxing uh, broadcaster and uh, writer editor for the Philadelphia and New York Daily News is, um, spoke at the the same slow cadence and was easy to transcribe, but he didn't slow it down for the uh, reporter. That was just the way he always spoke. So (laughs) it kind of worked out. Well, you never know what you're going to get here, Jeff. We had you on to talk NFTs and we end up talking uh, Sam Bowie and Larry Merchant. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. uh, Thanks for coming on the podcast again. We really appreciate it. And uh, assuming you're uh, lining up on Friday, uh, good luck uh, getting some Naomi Osaka's. Thank you very much. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. It was mostly a good week for the old bankroll, and the pattern of the past month or so continued. I remained hot, uh, especially with boxing, while John remained hot in baseball, but cold on golf. Uh, The less said about last week's golf bets, the better, (laughs) as uh, Tony Finau finally won something and we had no piece of him. uh, (laughs) While we lost $50 a piece on Adam Scott and Brandon Grace, uh, both of whom missed the cut. Uh, Your baseball bet won easily, though. You had the Reds on the run line, and they smoked the Marlins 6-1. to That earned us $48. Uh, Meanwhile, I got there in a weird way with my Patriots-Eagles preseason under bet. I needed under 38.5 points. The Pats scored 35, and the under still came in, thanks to my boys in green putting up a goose egg. We won uh, won $100 on that one. Uh, And then our big boxing wins. Uh, I'm proud of myself for sniffing these out. Uh, The books made a killing on public Pacquiao money, but not against me. I had Ugas to win the fight as a plus 300 dog. We risked $40 and won $120, and I had Ugas by decision at plus 500. We risked $20 and won $100. All in all, we won $268 on the week, leaving us down by $694. We have the same $1,387 on Holden Futures bets, so that leaves $7,919 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I'm starting with your favorite sport to watch, John, women's boxing. Uh, On Sunday, a card headlined by YouTuber Jake Paul versus faded former UFC champ Tyron Woodley, a fight I do not intend to bet. Uh, On the undercard, one of the very best female boxers in the world is in action. Amanda Serrano, she's a massive favorite, about 30 to 1 over Yamaleth Mercado. And what makes Serrano unique among female boxers is that Even with only two-minute rounds to work with, she scores a lot of stoppages. She has 30 KOs among 40 wins. That's an insanely high percentage in women's boxing. And I can get a price of minus 150 at FanDuel for her to win this fight by KO, TKO, or DQ. I think that's great value. Let's risk $75 to win 50. And then we'll take a little flyer that potentially eats into our profits. Uh, On my boxing podcast, I predicted a seventh round KO in this fight, and my co-host predicted an eighth round KO. So we can get both of those together at plus 700. Let's risk $15 to win $105 if Serrano wins in either round seven or round eight. And uh, I know you're uh, not thrilled about the fact that uh, we have to root for one woman to knock another woman out, but uh, this is the world we live in, John. Yeah, well, it's not always a pretty world, 
but <laughs> it is a world. Uh, I'm going to ban myself from golf betting this week, Eric. Be glad okay. to know. Uh, but baseball, yeah. I caught the highlights of a 16-inning soul-crushing defeat for the Padres at the hands of the vaunted Dodgers Wednesday night. And we and the Dodgers step on the throats of the Padres Thursday night for 100 units at minus 135 with a focus Max Scherzer against a sub-100% U Darvish. All right. Um, and uh, for my second bet, let's see if we can't go two for two on preseason NFL unders. Uh, Chiefs Vikings Friday night. The line is 38 and a half. And DraftKings actually has a price of plus 105 on the under. Uh, Chiefs scores so far this preseason have been 19 to 16 for a total of 35 points and 17 to 10, a total of 27. Viking scores so far this preseason, 33 to 6, a total of 39, and 12 to 10, a total of 22. So three of four have gone under 38 and a half, and the one that went over only went over by half a point. This is the final preseason game. Little to no playing time for most starters. Feels like a good spot. Uh, and we only have to bet 100 to win 105. So let's do that. Uh, women's boxing and preseason football. Boy, it's, a, <laughs> it's a great country or what? <laughs> yeah. Now, I mentioned recently on the podcast that I love Wisconsin at plus 900 to win the Big Ten and the theory that they are favored to win the week division uh, and then just need to pull off an upset of probably Ohio State to cash. So let's go 50 on that flyer at plus 900. Ooh, all right. 50 bucks could be a big win that could turn us around, although we have to wait a few months to find out uh, if it's a winner. All right. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Jeff Edelstein. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John? Please take us out. Uh, well, this is it for my seven-month-long PGA Tour golf pool, and I need to win this weekend from Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy, or Victor Hovland to likely win the pool. Otherwise, I'm probably going to finish second. And as far as my 37th year rotisserie baseball league, I'm in a rebuilding season, and at this point, I'm just rolling out the baseballs these last six weeks. So, And guess what? Having never played fantasy football, I am done until mid-February in either sport or in any sport. You know, Now, you know, more common these days is those who, of course, don't play fantasy baseball or golf, so they're sort of in the land down under version of me that their off season is finally ending and let the football trash talking begin. And uh, I understand that completely, but my real admiration goes to you, the year round fantasy sports player. You double up on baseball and football in September. You pair football and basketball until February, at which point you're at mid season, the NBA and you start glancing at baseball spring training articles on your potential keepers. You know, as with many things at my age, I just can't do it anymore. In this case, I never did. But uh, hold on to that passion, Mr. 12 months a year fantasy sports guy, as long as it does not screw up a really good relationship. You know, the only people who say that sports is better than sex, are the ones who aren't really doing the latter right. <laughs> and with that, until next time, everybody, gamble on. <laughs>